Welcome everybody to the Monday Night Chat Show and tonight I've got uh, somebody I've been working with for over 20 years and it's a long story how we met and I'm going to tell you a little bit about that now. Matt Tunbridge is the uh, Managing Director of Motor Easy now but we first met when he was 19 and I was at the uh, Consultants Development Network with Will Kintish. We were, uh, we just left our real jobs for uh, for uh, working for ourselves. And Matt came up to me and said, would you speak at my conference? And I said, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. How much are you going to pay me? And he said, I can't pay you anything because uh, I'm a young lad of 19, but I've uh, arranged a conference uh, in Park Lane and I'd like you and Peter Thompson to speak. And I said, well, I need something in return. He said, okay, well, I'll come around to your house and I'll write a book for you. I said, okay, that's fine. So Matt managed to negotiate me to speak for nothing, Peter Thompson to speak for nothing at the age of 19 when he was running the uh, Sponsorship Development Network. He's a really powerful persuader, and I'll tell you some more stories about his persuasion skills. Be careful, don't uh, get your pen out and write any checks while he's on because he has this hypnotic way of pitching and selling to you uh so be very careful there what i did was i said okay matt uh if uh, you're going to do something for me you can come around my house stay overnight and uh write a book for me so uh, so he agreed to that and uh, about eight hours later i got all the books out it was a lovely hot sunny day in guildford and uh, we wrote uh, or matt wrote the secret language of success yeah, i got all the books out agree to was you firing golf balls at my head while I tried to do it well I got a bit I got a bit a bit I got a bit bored because his typing skills were a bit slow so I got my golf clubs out and some golf balls and I started pinging them around but Matt the other interesting thing was you stayed overnight didn't you and um, a police helicopter seemed to appear overnight and uh, around the outside of the next house there were uh, policemen, special squad or whatever it was with guns because there was going to be a raid of the guy next door who kept cash under his mattress, I think. Matt, do you have any other recollections? The street that Derek lives in, you don't expect the police helicopters. <laughs> no, you certainly, certainly don't. But that was, uh, that was great fun and that was a long time ago. Matt also persuaded me to do a few, few other things like guarantee the lease on his flat when he was a single man in the middle of London. I don't know why I did that. It's the only way I could afford it, though. You know, I need, I need, I needed a nice address. Yes, thanks, Matt. Have you paid me back for that yet? I still think I got an IOU. Oh, you know, I, I owe you millions in consulting fees. It's just, you know, running. Absolutely. Back. And Matt, remember, I got this recording, and this is going on YouTube, so you won't be able to get out of that. So, Matt, tell us now, what are you, what are you doing now? You, um, you used to produce this uh, magazine, Used Car Expert. I think uh, you had a fantastic website and business was really going well until Google changed the algorithms. And I've got to tell you, Matt was doing this from his bedroom uh, at one stage. Tell us all about it, Matt. Um, so I always liked cars and I wanted to work for myself. So I started a website about buying used cars because seven times more people buy a used car than a new car. And uh, we did a big survey, a big research of all the garages in the country, finding out all the common faults on cars and published all the things that you should look for so you can avoid buying a bad car. And then we, um, me and a handful of freelancers, but mainly me, built a pricing tool that would tell you what you should really be paying for a car. 
and uh, a magazine was going out of business, but they had a deal to stay on the shelves in Smith's. So I picked that deal up and uh, wound Watcar up for a couple of years. They didn't like this little magazine taking a bite out of their price guide sales. And um, it was it was great fun. Um, but as a business, it didn't um, it didn't yield enough in the long run. And then ad rates started to drop. Google changed the way it was ranking sites like mine in the car sector and the distributor went bust. So I thought, OK, well, we won't wait to be taken out. We'll um, move on to the next thing. And that's why I got into building a system that allows people to book their servicing online and manages workshops. And that's what underpins the technology of Motor Easy that with a team of um, really good people, I run day to day. Matt, you told me one thing that um, you couldn't believe that WH Smiths uh, or Watcar were worried about you running this out of your bedroom. So you yeah. tested a cover, a cover in orange, didn't you? So the, um, uh, Whenever my sales went up, Watcar's price guide sales went down. And what I was doing was publishing more interesting covers, lots of different things each month, whereas Parkers and Watcar always had the same cover every month because it was a very traditional sector printing a price guide. And um, yeah, in particular, the, um, the editor-in-chief at the time didn't like what I was doing. And so I, I suddenly realized that every time we brought out a different color, they did. And um, which is extraordinary considering that what car was you know, red and white for 30 years. And I thought that can't be true. They can't be doing that just to cause confusion on the shelves. Um, but the distributor pointed it out to me and they say it's a, a technique that's well known. Uh, you publish the same front cover, color, and uh, people just buy the one that's got the slightly bigger brand on it. Uh, so I thought I'd better test this. So I put out a hideous orange magazine horrendous colour, you wouldn't really want it on the front of your magazine, but I was in my 20s and it seemed like a good idea to me at the time and there was no one to stop me. So uh, we published it and sure enough, the following week out came the What Car Price Guide with an orange cover as well. And then I knew that it must be true because there was no other reason to put such a horrible colour on the front of the magazine. Man, also, I remember you wrote an article about uh, car negotiations and published it in my name, and you didn't even tell me you'd written it. Is well, it was all your stuff, Dale. It was such a formality, wasn't it, really? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was a good article. It was better than uh, better than I could write. Anyway, I'm a speaker, not a writer. But, uh, yeah, no, that's uh, great. So tell me what you're doing now. What's Motor Easy all about? So Motor Easy is a modern motoring association. You can buy products from us like warranty, gap insurance, servicing, and we use the technology to get you into independent workshops and keep you updated with text and emails rather than waiting for that call at four o'clock with a big bill. And we have a team of people that check that bill and make sure it's not inflated. And so we've got a lot of knowledge about how people get ripped off and we do our best to put a stop to that and get people well protected and good value so that whatever car they're running is um, has a bit more peace of mind to it. So instead of going into my uh, friendly Lexus garage and paying £54 for my MOT and whatever they want to charge me on top for the service, which I uh, usually negotiate and still manage to negotiate, you would get me a better deal than that, would you? Yeah, so you would book online and we would give you an MOT for £30 and a correct manufacturer service would probably be 40% or so less. And we'll then tell you where the closest workshop is and you'll drop the car in or we'll collect it. You'll get a text to tell you when it's going on the ramp. You'll get an email with a report in it. So it all goes in an account area online. 
uh, which you can transfer when you sell the car. And if they find a problem, our engineers will check whether or not that problem should cost 300 pounds to put right or should really be 250. And we'll split some of our fleet discount with you to try and save you some money. It's very hard work. Um, cars, uh, you know, they're so complicated. There's a myriad of cars and it's all over the country and you have to find these workshops and police them. So we've about 10,000 workshops nationwide and we, we use the system to track it all. And we ask customers to give us a text at the end, which tells us how they rank us and how they rank the workshop. And if this workshop's not getting good scores, we lower it down out of the network and um, push up the ones that are doing well. So this says basically not, not use the main dealer, is that what you're saying? Well, I'm quite passionate about not using main dealers because um, they charge three, four times as much money. And in the old days, they were the only people that knew how to service your car properly. But um, block exemption, uh, an EU thing that was good, and technology means that we can look up exactly what Alexa should have, exactly what a Vauxhall should have at this mileage, at this age, and we can make sure that an independent is doing that correctly. And um, we'll update you with these texts and emails and give you good communication. Uh, there are certain main dealers around the country, from Tunbridge Wells to Battersea, where even though they're charging all that money, they don't answer the phone, they don't do a better job, and um, it's just not good value as far as I'm concerned. Okay, and you did at one stage guarantee MOTs, didn't you? And uh, you had to, you know, to get some insurance uh, and yep. convince the uh, Financial Conduct Authority that it was all uh, all okay. How did that work? Uh, yeah, so people worry a lot about their MOT and actually workshops don't really uh, cheat you on the MOT. There's lots of data that you can get from the government that proves that if you fail your MOT, you probably should have failed your MOT. Uh, it's not true that workshops habitually um, fail you when you should have passed. However, what they do then do, potentially, if they're not a good workshop, is overcharge you for the required repairs. Um, so we built a little protection product. The idea was that for about £99, you could um, buy uh, an MOT and protection. And therefore, if you fail, we will sort out the repairs for you. So it's a mini warranty, really. The problem was that the only way it was going to work is if it's sold very easily um, online in a sort of off the shelves, uh, like a hot cake kind of thing. And what we found was the cost of sale was about as high as selling a full warranty. So a nice little product, which led us in a good direction and taught us a lot about workshops and managing MOTs and using the MOT reporting to ensure that we're getting good uh, outcomes from garages. But as a product, we couldn't really make any money on it. So you stopped it? Yeah. Okay, let's turn to the real nitty gritty now about uh, negotiating a decent deal on a car. And we talked about this last week, didn't we, you and I, when we when we rehearsed this, but uh, the world's changed in negotiations. Car dealers are smarter all the time. What's your, what's your tips uh, for getting a great deal? Okay, well, the first thing is research. So with Autotrader and some of the other big sites, they have such a large amount of stock that you can work out a lot of useful information. So people know that if they're trying to find a certain car, they do that searching. But when they're doing that searching, what they don't tend to think about is the other person's perspective. And that's one of your key negotiating points, isn't it? When you're planning a negotiation, where's the other person coming from? So um, what you need to be looking at is if you were that dealer, he knows everything uh, that you can see online and a bit more. So if he knows he's got the only red BMW convertible 
within 30 miles and people don't really want to travel more than 30 to 50 miles he knows he doesn't need to give you a discount so you can you can look up that it's a bit too expensive and you can go in with great uh, sound bites and a plan on haggling but he doesn't need to make that sale he knows that that's that's going to sell easily so if you want to get a cheap car you're looking for a car where there's lots of them particularly in that area and if you want to get a really cheap car then the thing to do is to go for an unfashionable color because when people are buying a car they really want it to look good that's one of the top priorities and um, if you're prepared to buy the sort of apologies if anyone's got one the coffee gold type color um, then um, you'll get a bargain okay and uh, does the same apply with um personal leasing deals because 85 percent of the market now is is that the right technology per, right right jargon personal yeah, so leasing, leasing i think covers um several types of you know detailed finance agreement but um, in essence what you've got there is the way i'd recommend you go about leasing a car whether you're going to own it at the end with the possibility of a balloon payment or you're just going to hand it back um, is again you want to start with your research so you look at a car that's two years older than the one you want to buy if you're planning to do a two-year lease and you work out the depreciation and if the lease costs in total are less than the depreciation well then you've won and you should buy that deal immediately um, if you aren't too fussy about exactly what the car is then the way to go about it is to ring around the brokers and ask them what the best deal they can give you for your monthly budget is uh, people like lease plan will have deals with volkswagen and they won't last but they will have a hundred golfs at a fantastic price and they need to get them gone and they'll do you that deal if however you ring them and you say look i really want this range rover sport in this spec and this color you won't get that sort of discount you'll end up paying closer to the right retail price so if you want a rotten color that no one else wants and drive around looking like a crazy guy then uh, then you can get a good deal yeah absolutely and the way you search for those is you don't search by make and model online you search by engine size and price and mileage so if you set that you want a 60,000 uh, a six-year-old car with less than 60,000 miles but you don't set the make and model up it brings um and you know five thousand pounds ten thousand pounds whatever your budget is it, it, that effectively brings you up the bargains but you're not going to see Range Rover Sports and BMW M Sports, you're going to see um, a range of random cars in random colours and they are your bargains. Sure, okay. Now, um, you said you told me that uh, a main dealer doesn't make uh, money on selling a car. I find that I do find that a bit hard to believe, but I do accept they have huge overheads because when you go in their showrooms, it looks absolutely ridiculous. They don't make money on uh, selling you a car. Where do they make their money? So I think the company makes some money on selling the car, but certainly the sales rep in most cases, 90 something percent of cases, is not now incentivized to make the sale of the car. They're incentivized to sell the finance and the paint protection. So when you ring up and you say you're interested in car X, the first question will be, and do you need finance? And uh, you might think when you say no, they're gonna be excited because they think this is a cash buyer and they're gonna do a deal and make a sale. But they're not. They're now not interested because however long it takes you, even if it's five minutes, that's five minutes. They could be talking to someone who will take finance, which is where their money is. So, and it, go on, sorry. So I think when you're if you're planning to buy for cash and you're not, you know, you're not looking for finance, um, 
supermarkets and um, independents can be better, particularly independents, because supermarkets are moving closer and closer to being like the main dealers. Um, but essentially, if you're going to fight, if you're going to negotiate with a, a top end supermarket or a main dealer, then don't go in to negotiate on the price of their car. You've got to look at your other variables, which is the price of your car that you're part exchanging. And I had a very interesting experience, I'll tell you about in a minute, recently when I did that. Um, and also any of the add-ons that you might want. So if you want alloy wheel insurance or paint protection, then that's money for the sales rep. And that might be where you can uh, pull a bit of a lever with him. Okay, fantastic. Now we have got some friends from overseas here, from Europe and from uh, America, United States of America. The principles are the same anywhere around the world. The magazines and the jargon will change, but the principles of selling cars and the finance on cars are exactly, exactly the same. So apologies for our uh, UK jargon, what car and used car expert, but it's, uh, it's the same. Now, second-hand cars, trading in your car, Matt. I, uh, I see webuyanycar.com, I see Kazoo, I see Cinch. They all are offering deals. What's the real inside track on those? Well, I think the prices that they're offering to sell their cars at, because they also are looking online, are very carefully calculated. So um, in that respect, it's a good thing. But if you put your car reg in to get a part exchange price on a number of dealer sites, um, then it's powered by one of the two or three major providers. So uh, when you then go to Motorway or who can buy my car or whatever, you may find that they've got data in the back end that allows them to know that you're really keen, you're in the market. So again, you, you're not empowering yourself. It's fine, they're good services. And if you want to sell at that price, then great. But they're not giving you a negotiating edge if you use services like that. The best way to get full money for your car is to sell it privately. And of course, people don't want the hassle of that necessarily. So that's why you end up selling a discount. And then second is probably a hard fought part exchange. And third is to use one of the online services where, where they put the price up online because they know everything that's going on in the market in such detail um, that they're going to offer you a price that gives them the margin they need to make a profit. And their profit's not huge, um, but there is quite a lot of cost in taking your car, refurbing it, putting it through an auction or into a dealer or whatever they do. I've heard some stories where people have had, had a price from webuyanycar.com and then uh, when uh, when they come around to pick the car up, they find all sorts of things wrong with it, uh, true or not, and uh, uh, well, lowball low the yeah. price at that point. That's a two-way street, isn't it? Because the public fill the form in and say it's immaculate and then turn up with something that's uh, dragging the exhaust along the deck. Um, but equally, you, I'm sure in a big company, you'll find that there's staff who are a bit too fussy or not fussy enough and um, you just I think need to have a plan if you're going to use a service like that so to steal some more of your stuff you go in with um, a high goal which is to get no deductions and you have a walk away position where if they want to deduct any more than you're prepared to live with having looked online at what you think you'd get through other routes uh, then don't be afraid to walk away inconvenient though it will be. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. So what you're saying is that um, they all swap information, even though under GDPR they're not allowed to, that they probably it's do. Not a, swap. It's not a GDPR issue because you're not um, necessarily identifying an individual. But um, the point really I'm making is that whether you're dealing with a small car trader, a main dealer or an online provider, 
they are buying and selling cars all day, every day, and you're buying and selling your car once every two to five years. So they know what they're doing and to beat them isn't easy. Um, mm. You're not going to out-negotiate them through you know, natural talent. All you can do is to have prepared and worked out that they've had this car a long time, more than 30 days. Uh, they've reduced the price. There's a lot of them in the area. They're all signs that they want this car gone and, and you want to do a deal. And the online sites now tell you a lot of that stuff. Um, but again, if the car you want keeps selling quickly um, at the price that they've asked for it, um, you know, they, they, they're not surprised by that and you're not going to get very far negotiating. The car I wanted last was part exchanged in Birmingham uh, and within the group of main dealers shipped to Leeds because their data tells them that people pay a bit more for that car in Leeds than in Birmingham. So that's how detailed and how well run these main dealer groups are. And um, whilst you can get access to some of that information, you can work it out with enough time on the web they've got reports telling them what to do. So I was never going to get a discount on that car in Leeds or anywhere else, really. Oh, that's ridiculous. Now, I've been reading that some of these main dealers are in a bit of trouble. There's some new competition in the market, I think, and lookers, I saw the results of lookers last week, I think, in the in the Financial Times, and they were showing a horrendous loss. And also in Slyfield in Guildford, where, where we live, there's cars everywhere if you go around the back of these uh, these dealers. You know, you can just look at a full court and say there's three million pounds worth of cars there doing nothing. Yeah. And there's even more on on runways. Um, there's two or three key key places around the country where there are even more. And they're the cars that make up these deals we talked about earlier. But, um, you know, to get your great price on those, you've got to be looking for the offer and you've got to want to tell people that you're interested in the offer rather than I really want a white Range Rover. Mm. And then when you go to part exchange, you just need to be robust about what you think your car's worth. In my case, I was sent a form. Um, so I filled that form out in good faith based on the fact that they knew it was a, an eight-year-old car. And then when I got there to buy, to collect the, the, the new car, they said, um, oh no, you've ticked this as if it was a newer car. Um, and so we had to have a big row and I had to be prepared to walk out before they agreed that, okay, they wouldn't take any more money off the exchange price. And it's worth remembering, particularly the older the car is, in my case, I was, I was selling an Alfa Romeo into a Ford main dealer who was selling me a, a Skoda. Um, <laughs> the, the Alfa Romeo was never gonna go on their forecourt. It wasn't their kind of car. It's going to go to auction. They're only gonna get the same amount of money. So all they were trying to do, they, they were trying to say it's because they weren't gonna get as much for it. That's nonsense. When you auction an older car, it goes through at the market rate really. and there was no risk to them. They were just trying to take some more money off me. So that was one of those negotiations tactics we talked about, Matt, over the years. Act in anger, don't react in anger. Sometimes yeah, I think I did you both to, at that occasion, Dale, but um, yeah, yeah some, that's the plan, isn't it? Yeah. Sometimes you have to uh, throw your toys out the pram, don't you, to get the deal, which is why a lot of people don't like doing that. They don't like negotiating, and they particularly don't like negotiating in uh, car showrooms, etc. And it is clever, isn't it, the selling, because uh, at the end of the day, they break it down into this only cost you an extra £300 a month, so you may as well sign here, and you haven't got a clue what deal you've got, etc. Yeah, and the wad of paperwork you get, particularly at main dealer level, um, that you get presented with on the day, you can't possibly read all the terms and conditions. Um, but of course, there is a cooling off period, so really, you should go and read them afterwards. 
So if there's a calling off period, does that mean you can take the car back? So you can drive it around for a week and then uh, take it back and say, I've changed my mind. Yeah, you've actually got under the Consumer Rights Act, you've got terrific protection as a car buyer. And if you one of the good reasons for buying a car on finance is that um, you can return that car to the finance company really pretty easily uh, for quite a long time. And the finance company are liable. And, and we do see that and sometimes advise people um, when they've had a car eight, nine months, you get a report um, and the report says, if the report says that that fault was probably there in the first six months, it's deemed to effectively have been there when you bought the car. And the finance company basically does have to take your car back off you. The finance company then rings the dealer and puts the dealer under pressure. And I wouldn't say the whole thing is nice or, or I would wish it on anybody, but as a consumer, you've got terrific rights when you buy a car if you really need to use them. You've got to be pretty tough, haven't you, and thick-skinned to do all that, however good a negotiator you are. That's pretty conflict. Yeah, I think people don't do it over a small problem. But if you buy a car uh, on finance and it needs a £4,000 gearbox or a £8,000 engine or, or one of those big bills that comes up, then suddenly the hassle comes worth it, doesn't it? Okay, Matt. We've got a few questions in the chat box, and I encourage other people to put things in the chat box. Any question that you want to ask Mark, uh, Matt, fire away. First question, Matt, for you is, is gap insurance a sensible buy? Yes, gap insurance is an incredibly good buy. For a few hundred pounds, you can protect yourself against um, a significant loss, especially if you've bought on finance and the higher the APR. Um, and depending on how long you've owned the vehicle, uh, you can get return to invoice and you can crash your car not deliberately, but you can crash your car up to 18 months, 24 months later, by which time you've had two years of value out of your car and it's depreciated by 20, 30%, and you'll get returned all of that in that situation. So um, when you buy a newer, more expensive car then, um, or a car where you're stretching yourself or has finance on it, in any of those situations, gap insurances, if you buy it online rather than through the dealer where it's a lot cheaper it's fantastic value i'm always a bit cynical about this sort of insurance because that's where people make big margins i remember uh, in the um in the white goods sector that you know they used to make 80 percent margin on uh, on insurance and uh, yeah so main dealers um there's been a crackdown by the fca on it they've been selling gap insurance at um, you know premiums shall we say but if you go online, uh, you'll find that you can buy it for half, sometimes a third of that price. And it's the same cover with, with sometimes the same underwriter. Wow. Wow. Uh, next question. Doesn't the resale value of a car fall if it's not uh, serviced by a main dealer? Uh, no, it shouldn't do. Um, if you're trying to sell a car privately, you may find it easier to sell a car if you've got a nice bundle of paperwork and um, it gives people a warm fuzzy feeling if there's nice stamps from the same manufacturer in it and it will help you sell the car quicker but in reality you will find lots of cars like half the cars for sale at dealers in the country don't have a main dealer service history and they're not selling them any cheaper to you it's one of those things that it's a little bit stacked against you. The industry will sell you a car and they will save at the same price, whether it's been um, serviced by BMW or not. And lots and lots and lots of cars, including BMWs and Audis, are sold onto fleets. 
The fleets then service them through um, chains of garages, not main dealers. The service history is just a printout. Um, but when those cars go back into the retail market, they're deemed to be good value cars because you know the leasing company has spent the money on them, but they haven't done it at a main dealer. So um, if you're planning to sell your car privately, a main dealer service stamp uh, can be handy to help you sell it more quickly or um, take away a bit of pressure, but it doesn't affect the value of the car. Uh, something that happened to me at the Lexus garage when I had my car serviced, uh, they were getting old. Uh, I've got uh, two older Lexuses now. And uh, they said to me, the service will be something like 450 pounds. And I said, well, I've only done 3000 miles in my uh, Lexus sports car. And uh, I said, I probably won't get it serviced. Uh, and then the guy said, well, do you want the cheaper service? I said, what do you mean by the cheaper service? He said, well, the one where you don't get a higher car. I said, oh, okay, well, you do, do you still do the same service? He said, oh yeah, you still get the same service. You just don't get a higher car. I said, how much cheaper is that? He says, 200 pounds. I said, I'll take it. I couldn't believe that, that, uh, you know, that all that bells and whistles, well, you don't get offered until you ask. But it's still, um, you know, that's, that's my thing with main dealers. They're all, you know, leather sofas and gym uh, palaces, but they're all still run a bit like a Barrow Boy outfit. And it's all one great big haggle. And to be honest with you, if you'd said, um, I don't mind waiting until you've got a free car, but I do want the car and I'm only paying 200 pounds. You probably have still done that as well because there's no, you know, there's no, it's, it's 10 pounds for them to insure the car for the day. Um, and the main dealers often pass that on to the customer now anyway. So um, the thing with servicing is you should service it every year, even if you've done low mileage. We see problems on um, BMWs in particular, where because they have variable servicing controlled by the car, people don't service it for a long time. And then there's a, there's a change of use. So someone's been using the car low mileage and someone buys it to do high mileage. Uh, the computer can't, I think, catch up quick enough. And we've seen engine failures and stretch timing chains, which then lead to an engine failure because the oil hasn't been changed regularly enough and it's just lost a little bit of oil pressure, put the system under load. So um, you should service your car every year, even if you do one mile is, is my, my advice. Okay, this all sounds a little bit like Derek Trotter, my namesake, Del Boy, or either Arthur Daly um, here, Matt. <laughs> is this true? That's what the industry is like. The industry is, is um, you know, it's, it's all hard. It's really red hot hard. And, um, and no matter what the marketing looks like and how fluffy it is, it's brutal. The Manchester negotiator, Will Kintish, who you, who you will remember, said he had a quote for a full service last month at a main dealer for £460 and his local Arthur Daly guy did it for him for £165. Well, that sounds pretty good to me. Um, if he did the same things, he didn't skip anything. The things that people skip are fuel filters and uh, gearbox oil changes. And you don't notice for two years that that's been skipped until your gearbox breaks down. But Matt, he ticked the whole thing off and put that rubber stamp on it. And I thought for 300 quid saving, it was worth it. I'm sure it was. It sounds like the right thing to have done. Yeah. And uh, Chris Barker down in Dorset says his daughter's car is hot metallic mustard. That sounds a good car. A bargain. It was a bargain. Yeah. <laughs> well done, Chris. Good deal. Um, John Vine says, are there... Are, they partic are there particular cities or regions in the UK which are a good place to find a used car bargain? This is a typical Yorkshireman asking the question. 
quite right too. Yes, I used to publish when we did the magazine in order to get uh, regional press, radio and, um, and press coverage. I used to publish the differences in prices around the country. Um, and you would find that uh, Scotland was always expensive um, and uh, the Southwest uh, cheap. Um, Norfolk, where I'm from, expensive. Uh, London, a very mixed bag, sometimes cheap, but usually the cars were, had had a harder life. Um, and so, yeah, if you're prepared to uh, go down the M5, John, then yeah, there are bargains to be found down there in that part of the world. Okay. I car in, in Wales for that reason. She lives in Norfolk. It's a long way to go to Wales and back, though, isn't it? To save uh, a couple of hundred pounds on a Well, no, but that's the point. I think, you know, we, we saved um, more like 1,500 pounds. And so, um, and she sent me, so she was fine with that. Yeah. Okay. Worth Good. it to a Yorkshireman, Derek. <laughs> Good on you, John. I know, I thought it would be. I thought it would be. And uh, Nancy asks, in our area, thieves are cutting off catalytic, catalytic converters from neighbours' cars. Is there a big market for those uh, used catalytic? catalytic converters can't say it um there's some very valuable metal in them as i understand it um but i think you have to have the right connections if you're going to start in that line of work i, I don't recommend going and stealing any no okay and christine asks i pursued both the dealer and the finance company about a defective car not fit for purpose uh christine's a lawyer on behalf of a guy who was working on our flat the dealer was uncooperative but the finance company joint and severally responsible eventually took the car back reimbursed 14k but took longer than the six weeks which it to get it sorted and required some tenacity yeah they're tough people um everybody in the car industry is they're they're very tough people there are no softies who are going to make your life easy i'm afraid yeah, I mean, it is, it is a tough business, isn't it? And a hugely competitive business. And um... it's very easy to be fair to the to the industry. It's very fair, particularly for independent garages, to lose money. Lots of them go broke. And that's what leads to them, their need to be tough. And, um, you know, it's, it's case by case. You can't sort of judge everybody um, in one go. But it's a tough industry. And uh, you won't find very often people throwing compensation at you. Uh, I mean, um, for the uh, finance people on the call who understand uh, very clearly fixed and variable costs, the fixed costs for a dealership are huge, aren't they? And carrying that uh, stock level is uh, is also huge. Um, Nigel says, hi, Matthew. Honda offered me a free MOT for life and free AA cover as long as my car is served by a approved Honda main dealer and came with a five-year service plan. Yeah, that's great. It's a good deal. Um, Honda, generally speaking, pretty good. They don't overcharge for their servicing. And that's a really nice deal if you trust that, um, that dealership and it's run by a good service manager. And um, Honda have pulled out of Britain, have they? They're closing Swindon down, did I read? In terms of making cars, but they're still going to sell them. But Infinity have decided uh, no longer to sell cars. And we do have some customers with Infinities which are posh Nissans, um, but it's they're very hard to look after because no one knows what to do with them. Okay. So that's another good tip. If you are buying a, a car, whether it's cheap or not, you know, don't buy the ones that hardly any have been sold. So, um, you know, if you own a Chevrolet, they came and went. Um, if you own an Infinity, they came and went. And these are sometimes on the used market and they look fantastic. Um, no one knows how to fix them and no one wants the hassle and so it can be difficult to maintain one of those cars as they get older okay 
Okay. Christine puts uh, the citizens advice bureau in, but I don't think anyone really wants to go down that track. It's better not to buy a dodgy car in the first place, isn't it? Alex says he's skeptic skeptical about warranty plans. Um, Alex and I agree on a lot of things, so am I. I had a warranty issue, which the warranty company decided were two separate issues and applied the excess twice. That sounds like one of your scams, Matt. I'm not allowed to yeah, say that, am I? I'll withdraw um, that. If either the answer is, and um, whoever's regulating that product or looking after that product would want to see two excesses applied, because if another customer comes in with that, with those two problems, but six months apart, they will be charged two excesses. And so it, it is actually a fairer thing to do, annoying though it might be, when someone comes in on one occasion with two problems. And Will Kintish has ruined everything tonight by saying that Chevrolet are the sponsors for Manchester United, or known as manure in this part of the world. Uh, but there, but there we are. Um, any more questions for the chat box before I close the meeting and ask Matt to stay on? Um, is there any value in buying X demonstrators? Nigel asks. Yes, um, uh, they're uh, they're a, they're a good price usually. Um, they haven't been driven badly and um, you can often get in if you, if you want to get in a new car the latest design for less then that's the way to do it okay and amy asks what your viewpoints on the ev market particularly in terms of infrastructure needed for charging well some people that know more than me say that um, we are an incredibly long way from being able to build the infrastructure required for EVs to succeed. That's electrical vehicles. I had to work that one out. I was a bit slow there, Amy. Sorry, but uh, carry on, Matt. Uh, so um, that's a big problem. And um, people that have Teslas say the one really good thing about the Tesla is the amount of investment they've put into the network. So I guess if you're going to go that way at the moment, Tesla is worth considering for that reason. Um, but on the other side, the government want this done. Um, Jaguar have now announced today that they're going to be EV only, and they're probably the closest competitor to Tesla that there is. Um, the sort of sensible thing I think at the moment is to sit on your hands and wait and see in terms of pure EV, if you're looking at it financially. Um, the next stage is to go to a hybrid. So most of the manufacturers, BMW, Range Rover, uh, everybody really will, be doing hybrids where you've got a combustion engine that you're going to use for the bulk of the long journey, but you've got an electric engine that you're going to use on the shorter journeys. Um, the other, and if you are going to go into EV early, I would go into it uh, whilst it's still under manufacturer guarantee or buy some aftermarket warranty because um, they haven't had 20 years development. You know, when you buy a, a brand new car with a combustion engine in it, the engine has got 20 years development and they're actually more and more reliable apart from a few notable exceptions. Um, the EV cars just seem to have a lot of braking bits is what we're seeing. And, and some of those bits are cheap, but some of them are very expensive. Okay, well, uh, Amy's got a Tesla, so uh, she, no wonder she's, uh, and she has free charging for life of the car. So um, that's good. And, um, and you look cool, of course, is the main, the main reason. <laughs> Yeah, it's most important to look cool. It doesn't matter whether it breaks down or whatever. As long as you look cool on the motorway uh, slip road, then that's uh, that's great. If there is a motorway slip road uh, and not one of these uh, smart motorways, which seems a bit dangerous to me. And John says, shame about Jaggy sticking to his, uh, his name drop in here is XK4 litre petrol 
and it uh, roars. I thought that was an old man's card, John. I thought you were still in middle age, but still, never mind. Don't answer that. That'll go up in value if you keep on hold on to it long enough. <laughs> Matt, that's absolutely fantastic tonight. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. We will get you back on. Will you stay on for a little while? I'm just going to close the uh, close the meeting. So thanks for joining us tonight live. Thanks for uh, watching this on YouTube. If you like uh, the video, please like it and make some comments. And if you listen to this on the Negotiators podcast, send me some uh, feedback, please. Thanks for joining me. I'm Derek Arden and I look forward to seeing you shortly. Matt, that was great. No, I haven't stopped the